you're listening to The Bounding Box, where we talk about web development, geo-development, and everything in between. All right, welcome to The Bounding Box. So this is uh, episode one of season two of The Bounding Box 2023. And to start off, we're kicking off with John Nelson. John, please introduce yourself, introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do, what's your problem? Renee, what is your problem, Renee? <laughs> uh, hey, thanks for inviting me on. Season two, episode one. Congratulations. That's right. Thank you. I'm honored. Thank you. <laughs> thanks for the invitation. Um, what is my problem? You're my problem. I work with you. You're a colleague of mine. <laughs> uh, my problem is I don't work with you enough. Occasionally, we've collaborated a couple glorious times. That was a lot of fun. We need to find we need to find more ways to do that. Remember the blog post? The blog post was great. Uh, series we did. Yeah, working with uh, how, how to work with your developer, then how to work with your cartographer, I think yeah. was uh, the gist of it, right? Yeah, those those were some yeah. really fun ones. And I think anyone out there that is uh, like working somewhere that you're, like, you're a dev or you're the, the, you know, the person in charge of making the maps and publishing web maps stuff, working with developers, they're, they're good reads. They're good, fun reads, some nice tips and everything in there. Yeah, that was, it was fun to write. <laughs> it, it came from many tiers. Any tears over the years. Yeah, exactly. No. And, and you I, learn the hard way. I do. <laughs> and John knows every time uh, John does something really cool, like some cool map or whatever he's doing, like one of the first questions I'm asking, like, John, is there a web map for that? Because seriously, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, You know, I just today did uh, a YouTube video about adding a layer of mist in ArcGIS Online. I always do it oh. in ArcGIS Pro. But you can totally do it in ArcGIS Online, so I, I just released that one. So oh, that's cool. I'm trying to do more ArcGIS Online stuff. So as you get ideas, feel free to feed them over. It, it's great. I uh, I mean, my my initial background came from working with ArcMap and doing stuff like that, and it is uh -huh. I am blown away every time like they show something that you can do in ArcGIS Online that would have taken me like days to do and fit finalize in like ArcMap back like 2004 or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the, the rendering capabilities in online, the, like the effort they've put into like pushing that forward. I mean, sure the blend modes, but then the effects, yeah, a couple blend modes with effects. Yeah. And in addition to all the other stuff that you can do with, you know, the web-based GIS, it's just bananas now. And I'm loving it. Even though I know you don't work too much with the 3d stuff, but like, um, back in the day they had like arc scene as part of arc mm -hmm. map and i would yeah. have to prepare like it would take me days to like prepare and render out like maybe four or five different scenarios for line of sight or view sheds or something like that and now you just like spin up an app or open up uh the yeah. scene viewer and like you're good to go i'm like oh yeah. my gosh i can't i can't believe this stuff is so yeah. like easy to do now <laughs> right in a browser yeah um when was that is uh 2001 or 2002 one of those i was um i installed a the uh like free trial version of arc scene because <laughs> i wanted to do a 3d rendering i wanted to fly over oh yeah um, some of the like the, little, the, the oregon trail <laughs> kind of thing and see like and fly through the mountains and so i i did that and it was great i, I figured it out i exported it as a little mpeg video or whatever it was and then uh, my my trial period ran out and any any project arc map project i had opened with that extension was i was locked out of 
and oh. it was so scary for me. That was one of the scariest professional moments I've ever had. <laughs> oh no! Oh man, I that's didn't like... even need arc scene for this. No, that's no. worse than like losing your work. Like no, we don't save and stuff. <laughs> yes, it's there. I've lost my key. <laughs> like those people who lose their uh, cryptocurrency tags. Oh yeah, if you forget your uh, your your pass keys and like you're yeah. locked out of your millions in bitcoin <laughs> yeah that'd be hard oh wow so john okay josh you've you've been at esri for almost eight years now is that right so that's or, been, or ten... that's crazy when, when did i come i came in 2015 so, wow, so okay yeah. you joined esri right about the time i did because i think i'm about over four. almost eight years wow okay okay i i came in october of 2015 all right i was in march March 2015. Uh, okay, so you beat me. You're just old just by a few months. You're a veteran. <laughs> but you were using it way before that. You were using all the product stuff way before that. You were creating some awesome things before you even came over to Esri, right? So Yeah, I was I was working for a software company and it was doing data viz, but not not all geographic data viz, but it was like a startup. And so I had a GIS background and I was their UX person. Okay. And so anytime a customer would have data that was, you know, vaguely geographic or needed to become geographic, then I'd be like, okay, today I'm the GIS guy. <laughs> and then the next day I'd be the graphic design guy making icons. And then the next day I'd be the UX guy designing, you know, information architecture and workflow. That was crazy. Um, and I actually got out of making maps themselves. I didn't make maps for years. I was just, you know, playing around with data designing the platform for visualizing data and you know charts and and maps too but but uh, i did miss it i did miss it so i was i was happy to get back back in the so was good UX, old map making was ux design your initial background before you started getting the maps no my my background is geography and gis and um but i have a minor in art okay so so there's that but um my my first jobs were gis and um well no my my first my why my one first job I was a GIS analyst for a Native American tribes natural resources department which was really cool and then um I went back to grad school for GIS but my my long term job was a UX design person so I had to kind of shift over into UX design but in a lot of ways map making is UX design and so a lot of it translated <laughs> you know you're yeah. doing information architecture you're doing pleasing graphical design to communicate information to people. You're providing for them a workflow to ask good questions or figure out answers to questions. So mapping in UX is really like knotted up together. So it kind of made sense to me. But uh, yeah, for 12 years, I was a UX person, uh, like design director for, for that company. Okay, only occasionally doing maps. Okay. So that's very yeah. cool. Only occasionally doing official maps that I was asked to, to me by the end of it i was just you know doing gorilla maps because i was like screw it i need to make some maps and i'm doing it and they can fire me if they want to john going rogue yeah. nothing's changed right <laughs> no but you do you do some pretty uh awesome apps i think people um look at stuff you put together as an inspiration for some of the work that they do because it really does help to tell uh story of the data right and i think um i mean a lot of people i interact with this stuff are devs um some people that do like cartography kind of work but i think uh, a lot of times the the devs kind of um 
you know, lose sight sometimes of like all this cool stuff they can do. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you don't have uh, the solid data to back it up or a compelling map to help tell the story, you're kind of missing a piece out of some of the work that they're doing and stuff. So I think it's really neat to look at that from a visual perspective, right? Oh, for sure. Actually, just yesterday, I saw a tweet from Joshua Stevens. I don't know if it's his quote or if he's quoting somebody, I forget. But he said, science isn't done until it's communicated. Nice. And that's like, it's right on. That's right on. Because that's the whole point of science. And, you know, collecting all, what are you collecting all this data for? So you can do your analysis yeah. and then, you know, communicate that to another human being to make a point or get them to ask questions or answer their questions. And if you don't do that last step, then what was the point and expense of collecting all of that data? So the, the communicating of it is huge. It's kind of the goal. Yeah, exactly. And um, you'll see people get all into charts and these fancy graphs and stuff like that they mm -hmm. might do and whatnot. It's the same thing. I mean, if you're if you're spending enough time on a chart to display information, you could push that into uh, you know, maps if you have any kind of spatial component to that at all, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, show me where the concentration of this information is happening at or these events, uh, what impact those events have, right? Like, I may not just care that yeah, there might have been some earthquakes in a certain place, but you no. Know, what was the extent of the damage from those? Where were the reports coming from of like, uh, I felt it over here type of thing? Or you no, know, how much did it cost uh, the stores that might have shelvings that fell, fell over? Those kind of things, right? I mean, those are interesting. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the the fact that plate tectonic theory is accepted now is because... Um, people lobbed a ton of earthquake data onto a seafloor map that Marie Tharp had been drafting just based on connecting the dots between depth soundings for boats. Oh. And she was seeing like this big ridge in the middle of the Atlantic and people were like, ah, that's, that's kind of crazy. And uh, then they overlaid earthquake data on top of that. And we're like, whoa, I guess Marie Tharp has a point. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we should rethink this. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, when you, there's so much wrapped into that. When you see a bunch of data all at once, it starts to reveal like an underlying phenomenon. And that's really cool when stuff like that starts to emerge. But uh, connecting two different data sets, you get yeah. like new dimensions and you, you know, you make new discoveries. It's just the coolest. And I, yeah, I think that's really when uh, spatial data really starts to shine, right? Where you start to see these um, different, stories getting told that maybe you didn't know that were there and a lot of times when you, maybe you start mm -hmm. working on a map with some data sets you don't know where it's going to end up you might be looking at one thing because you have an, a theory of something and it turns out to be completely something else which is really awesome yes yeah that's where so much magic is and that's um that's a little bit of risk in performance metrics and kpis like key performance indicators you, you like institutionalize these targets and then the targets become the goal yeah and you can get in some some real trouble there but um it that's why it's so valuable to have time to play with data and take a look at the data and be surprised by it and ask honest questions of it instead of um making your data like a memorial to the person who was delighted to discover some metric that benefited them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's 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 important to keep unstructured play involved in that whole um, realm of data. 
Because if you just always have this pipeline of I've got the data, I'm going to do this and this and this and kick it out the door, you're going to miss out on cool new ways of visualizing it. You're going to miss out on relationships that you might not have noticed. It's just going to be the same old stuff. Um, I think a lot about this kind of crap, Renee. <laughs> uh, John, that's why you push out so much content, man. <laughs> Quantity over quality. <laughs> Hey, it never never fails, right? Quantity <laughs> is the name of the game. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the most fun uh, presentations I saw you do, and I know people really, a lot of people really enjoyed it, was the Excel map uh, oh, presentation. Yeah. I think that was a keynote you did somewhere. Am I correct in that? Yes, I I bring it out from time to time. Um, I use it almost every time I talk to geography students or people okay. that are kind of new to geography because it's a and if it's in a keynote, it's because I really want to do well in this keynote. <laughs> but I try to reserve it, and I haven't made a video about it because I want to reserve it and make it new and fresh for newer audiences. But uh, the the gist of it is, you can take a bunch of latitude longitude records, like you know, like earthquakes, like we were just talking about, or fires. NASA has this really nice live feed of fires that you can download as an Excel table, and it shows you the coordinates, the latitude and longitude, and you can do a quick pivot table of the latitude and longitude and bang, like three seconds later, you've made this crazy map that aggregates all that data in a fake pseudo geographic um, visualization. And it's it's bananas. And you're like, wow, I'm in, in Excel right now, but I've just made a map. And I like to use that with students because I remember being a student in the early days of my you know, experience with GIS. It can be really intimidating learning new software and feeling like oh, I've got to follow this tutorial click by click and I can't deviate or, you know, it's all going to come off the rails and I'm toast. <laughs> and so I, I show that just to give people a little bit of perspective. Like this is just a tool. It's just software. And the magic happens in your brain when you're using this tool to, to come to a, you know, a better question or a visual result or something like that. And I think that's really helpful for folks new to, um, mapping really new to any software, but especially mapping software. Nice, that's very cool. I mean, what would you uh, suggest to users, or even maybe like um, students or new grads out there that are looking into cartography or map making and analysis mm -hmm. like that? Well, how can they experiment with the, the stuff that they work on to inspire themselves? Yeah. Um, well, there's so many resources online like i i use youtube to see how to do occasionally i'll have to open up illustrator or photoshop i'm like oh no photoshop <laughs> and every step of the way i'm like i have no idea where to find this option but i'm pretty sure it's possible and so i'll you know look it up on youtube and sure enough somebody will show me how to do it and then i'll get distracted and learn how to make things look like they were etched dollar bill kind of thing you know what i mean like <laughs> you know i accidentally stumble into these cool um, worlds that people provide for us for free on YouTube. It's too good to be true. So I would suggest that kind of thing. Um, a lot of the times you're in a class or you have a, an assignment in your job and your customer wants it a certain way or your boss wants it a certain way. That's okay. Go ahead and give them the one that they asked for. Yeah. But um, I recommend people occasionally brew some chaos by making a second map um, using the same data, like here's like the the hindsight version, here's the what if kind of version, using the same data, and you just go nuts and play with it and see what comes out of that. And if you're feeling 
dangerous. You could show that to them. You know, here's <laughs> here's I've completed my assignment. You wanted me to do this. Here it is. But here's another thing. And um, I, I when you brew some recklessness like that into the process, occasionally, you know, your manager, your professor, your boss might say, you know, um, you've got another one later on. Maybe that technique could be used here. Or, you know, the customer would think, oh, you know, that weird one you showed me, that might be, that gives me an idea for this other data. And all kinds of fun adventures happen after that. Oh, that is cool. I, I, I really enjoy that. That is a really awesome tip uh, for people out there to just kind of like, you know, do a skunk works project on the side, right? For the stuff. That yeah, for sure. <laughs> sure. Now, speaking of students and um, people experimenting and stuff, there's a new MOOC coming out, right? Or has it started already? I think it's coming out for... It's uh, February 22nd, 2023. It's the next one that comes out. Yeah, they can sign up right now. And what is the MOOC for, for people that may not be familiar with that? Okay, it's a cartography MOOC. So MOOC stands for Massive Open Online Course. It's free. And Esri provides you the software um, for the duration of the course and a little bit of time afterwards if you want to um, have some Skunk Works projects course. <laughs> um, and it, uh, it it's created and hosted by Ken Field. And um, and then he he brought in some of his colleagues. And I was one of those colleagues, you know, lucky enough to be part of it. And we wrote a bunch of exercises for folks. And it's just about upping your cartographic game, making you think a little bit differently about data, considering options that are available. To, maybe just teaching you different techniques that you didn't know about. Um, I think a lot of people use it to get familiar with ArcGIS Pro, who are, you know, coming from the ArcMap space, which is yeah. a lot of folks. <laughs> and you can use this kind of zero risk environment to learn Pro. And then when it comes time to to upgrade, you know, it's it's not such a black box to you. Yeah, so that's, that's coming really cool. up in a, a couple of weeks. That's a great resource. I know uh, my first dive into Pro was like just a couple of years ago or so, and I hadn't even opened ArcMap in a long time, and it took me a while to find my bearings uh, a bit and stuff. So it would have been great to have something like that uh, to kind of like just play with, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. When I had to upgrade to Pro, I was brand new to Esri. I Open Pro once and then closed it. I was like, oh, I don't know what's going on here. And I closed <laughs> it in my other in my other job when I was temporarily wearing that GIS guy hat. And um, I always used ArcMap. And I kept using ArcMap here at Esri. And then um, I was asked to do some presentations at the user conference. And, um, and so I planned all these demos with ArcMap. And then, and then they said, no, you have to use Pro. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Oh no! And, you know, it's like a month away. I start sweating. Oh, wow. oh man! I, don't, I have to look like I know what I'm doing. And uh, the trick I used was I imported ArcMap projects that I was familiar with okay. into Pro. And there is some like weird magic dust that gets sprinkled on you when you do that. Instead of just staring at an empty screen in Pro and empty, you know, nothingness. For some reason, when I looked at a project I was familiar with in Pro. Then it kind of clicked with me that it's the same thing. They've just rearranged the furniture. Yeah. And I don't know, for whatever reason, I was just kind of off to the races after that. So I, that's a, a little bit of advice to folks who are at that fork in the road. Awesome. That, that was going to bring me to my next bit here before I uh, 
I let you go and go about doing whatever it is you need to do. <laughs> but uh, if you have any uh, tips, tricks, or words of advice for listeners out there, it doesn't even have to be mapping related at all. If you just want to uh, teach people a little something, leave them with a little something here, what would you say? Hmm. I'll, I'll do like a, a general one and then I'll do a mapping one. So the general one is love your neighbor. It's so fun. Love your literal neighbors. I mean, it's snowing here, and so I'll clear their driveway. <laughs> and it's it's really rewarding, and they're so grateful for it. And my neighbors just brought over some cookies and pistachio oh. nuts, and that was great. Love your neighbor. Um, not just your literal neighbors, but, you know, you, Renee, you're my colleague, and I love you. You're my neighbor. And so I'll do what I can to help you out, and I'm sure you'll do the, what you can to help me out. If we all did that, I mean... The world would just immediately be just perfect. Love that. Um, and then uh, the GIS stuff is, um, you know, I hear a lot when I'll when I'll make a thing or do a video or write a blog post. Somebody will say, "Oh, I can't wait to try this at home tonight," or "I want to do this, but I don't have any time." And I've said this before, but I, I just hate hearing that. It makes me so sad to hear that because. Um, if you're in a job where you literally don't have any time to try like a five or 10 minute thing to uh, better yourself professionally, yeah, then that's not, the, that's not a good job. You know, yeah. a lot of the times I think it's your mindset. Like I just have to keep cranking out, you know, these projects. I don't have t 10 minutes to spare on what looks like play or fun, but play or fun is professional development. And I guarantee you, if you goof around and try new things, um, you're going to be better at your, professional job too. You're yeah, going to exactly. have a more varied experience and ideas and oh. just make, making yourself more valuable and you know, you get, getting knowledge is never a bad thing. So No, no, you'll be more <laughs> valuable to your boss. If if that's what you're afraid of, then be yeah. more valuable to, to your boss by stealing some time and goofing around once in a while. Uh awesome tips, John. I really appreciate it, sir. I'm sure I'll catch up with you again. And uh, yeah, thanks thank for the invitation. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. And I got to learn that you make physical audio devices, amps and stuff. Yeah, exactly. No for any listeners who may not be aware. Yeah. That's one of the varied hobbies I have is DIY audio, uh, headphone Love amps that. and stuff. And my, my latest venture in DIY stuff is custom keyboards. So oh, like, even really? uh, like people may not be able to. I know this is going to say this, but John can't. I got this uh, keyboard that oh. I soldered everything together myself and stuff. So. I'm seeing a split keyboard, so yeah, like an ergonomic keyboard. split keyboard. Do you have the little clacky? It's all it's all clacky here. If I start clacking, you'll probably close my screens. But yeah, it's I, completely yeah, I can hear it. Clicky clacky and everything. It's I love it. It's a, I have another ergonomic keyboard, a Kinesis Vantage I've used for like 10 years, but mm -hmm. I decided I wanted to build my own. Uh, and it's fun. I love it. I'm going to do some more. <laughs> That's great. I've seen a YouTube video where people take existing old IBM clacky keyboards and they'll like hot press out the, the key circles in the shape of a circle oh. and they'll embed them in like little brass rings and stuff yep. in like a steampunk style. That's key, neat. You know, they'll, they'll inlay it in some beautiful wood and add some brass and stuff. I have one of those IBM PS2 keyboards in my, uh, my garage somewhere. I got to go dig that up because yeah, they are beautiful pieces of machines. <laughs> yeah. And the plastic is all yellowed. It's horrible. I know probably. <laughs> Yeah, blue chip under UV light or something just to be yeah. reasonable. <laughs> yeah, you know what they did? They did uh, peroxide. 
We just kind of oh. rubbed a little bit of hydrogen peroxide on it. It looked like it was 1993 all over again. <laughs> That's awesome. I got to give that a shot. All right, John. Well, thank you, sir. I'll Thanks, see you Renee. Next time. Yeah, have a good day. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Bounty Box today. Please subscribe for more content.